Well, grab a seat. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys making it through winter okay? Trudging along. It's kind of rough, right? Wasn't that awesome with the worship team? Would you guys give it up for the worship team one more time? Awesome. Well, my name is Matt. If you are new here, we're so glad you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. I get the privilege of being able to share with you this morning. If you're watching with us online, thanks so much uh, for being with us this morning. Let us know where you are watching from, and we are going to jump right into this uh, this morning. How many of you guys uh, were here for the chili cook-off? Can I see who was all here? That was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't that fun? Did you guys get enough food? Did everybody recover? Kind of recovery time. You need recovery time. You know, we still have chili out in the fridge if you want some more. Just go out there and get a little scoop. It'll be fine. No, we don't. We got rid of all of it. Uh, that would have been weird. Uh, there is just, like, there's hints of, uh, we're not making this in stone, but I've heard that there's a possible pie competition that might happen at some point. So be looking at your recipes, you know, for we're talking, like, later in the year, so... Some of you guys are going to start practicing now. It's fine. Do whatever you want. But I thought the team did great with that chili cook-off. It's always fun. And um, did anybody, like, get mad about losing in here? Was there anybody, like, disappointed? You kind of punched the bag a little bit. I know Aaron said he's not angry. He's just never coming back to the church. So, like, whatever that means, we're still praying for him. But, uh, no, it's always a good time. But um, also January was great. Uh, we had Clark, if you guys remember, we had Leslie, we had Rick, two weeks, and both weeks were phenomenal. Wouldn't you guys agree? Wasn't that awesome? Everything that they did, everything they said, right? And you guys are like, well, where was Matt at that whole time? Um, that's a good question. I was hiding, whoever said that, thank you. Um, no, uh, well, I, I, we've been working on some of the website stuff, just so you know. We've, we've made a new website, um, and we're trying to get down to the, the finishing um, areas. I would say we're probably a couple weeks out to, to publishing it, putting it out. It's completely different, new style. Uh, we even have a different, um, whatever you call it. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, about a year and a half ago, um, we brought somebody in that was a web designer that knew how to do all these things, okay? We didn't know where to start or what to do. We can move things around on a, on a website, but that was about it. So we had somebody come in, and um, she started asking us some questions that I felt um, at the time, uh, you know, were kind of difficult questions. Um, they were like, who you are, who are we, and where are we headed? And I will be the first to admit, at that moment, I didn't really know. Like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing. We're just doing what we know to do. Um, but it also caused me to ask those questions that made us think, and I believe we've got a really good direction as to where the church is going and, where, and what we do and why we do it. And I had a pastor friend um, recently did a message at the beginning of the year, and he does this every year. I think we might try it as well. Um, but he really talks about who they are. And so if you're here today and you're wondering who we are or you're watching online um, and you're thinking, well, this is my church, or I'm thinking about whether this is my church or not. This is a great intro series as to who we are and why we, why we do what we do and what direction we're headed. And really, because I've been staring at the homepage uh, of the new website, I decided a couple weeks back that I was going to use this as kind of a template, and it also gives you guys a sneak peek into what is about to unfold with our website, okay? Um, and so... 
with that, um, we kind of came up with a slogan. A slogan kind of shook out. And the slogan that we feel as of right now um, that we're going to stick with for a little while um, that we think that we're actually pretty good at is the slogan is defining grace and redefining church. Defining grace and redefining church. And as you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, (laughs) we talk about grace pretty often, wouldn't you say? I mean, it seems to be we're pretty redundant. We've got this thing down. So today, I want to give you seven reasons why defining grace is something that we do. Seven reasons why defining grace is something that we do. And you might be wondering, why seven, Matt? Why seven? Well, first of all, it's God's number. Did you know that? I mean, he's probably up there shooting basketball right now. He's got the number seven on, so that's why. The other reason why is is I couldn't come up with any more, so you'll have to forgive me with where we are. So defining grace is something we do because, number one, grace hasn't properly been defined. If you have your pen and paper, today's the, today's the day. you got plenty of stuff to write down. But grace hasn't been properly defined. Max Lucado said, grace is God's best idea of all his work. It is his magnum opus, and a magnum opus deserves a magnum definition. First of all, I want to run you through what grace is not. Grace is not conditional forgiveness. Grace is not conditional forgiveness. I don't know if you've heard, but people say when you ask for forgiveness this way, then you'll receive forgiveness. That's conditional forgiveness. It's based on what you can do. Even though you hear a lot of people say, well, God has unconditional forgiveness. He has unconditional love, except for these conditions, right? That seems to be what they do. Well, it's unconditional except for those few things. Just just make sure to follow those few things, and then you'll receive his forgiveness. Grace is not law-keeping. I don't know if you've heard, but for some reason, we've taken the law and decided that that is what we're to live by. And they've minimized it down to the moral law, which I think is just a made-up thought process. Um, But grace is not law-keeping. Grace is not progressive sanctification. Now, when I was coming into grace, that was something new that I I didn't even realize was in existence, but people believe that we are sanctified over time progressively through trying to imitate things that Jesus did, to try and imitate who he is, as if we could come anywhere close, right? But I think for years, people have denied Um, who they are and what they're capable of, and we just assume that we can just imitate Jesus just like he was here on the earth. If that was the case, it was pointless for him to come. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, and that is what some of you were. You were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. You were. If we were, then we was And if we was, then we have been sanctified. Amen? Already happened. We're not progressively. We're not hoping. We have been. We were sanctified. Another thing grace is not is grace is not judgmental or condemning. Grace is not judgmental or condemning. And I know this is something that the body of Christ is constantly working on and attempting, but it's not. If you hear that grace is judgmental or condemning 
in any form or that God is angry or that he's upset or that he's holding something against you, you might be not hearing grace, okay? Grace is not sin management. Grace is not sin management. It's not us trying to manage our sin, trying to work sin out of our life so that we can be perfect as Christ is perfect. It's not managing our sin. And just so you know, that is impossible to manage your sin. It is impossible. I'd love to be able to do that. It's just impossible. It's also, grace is also not dead works. It's not dead works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by what? Grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Grace is not performance-based acceptance. It's not performance-based. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Um, I've heard it misused for years and years. It was when Jesus was being baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, and the heavens opened, and uh, the Holy Spirit Ascended upon, or descended upon him like the form of a, a dove. And then John the Baptist, I believe, heard a voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I've heard over and over, and I preached it as well, that one day I really hope that God is pleased with me. And I want you to know that he is pleased with you right now. Right? If Jesus was a son, uh, in Romans, or in... Uh, 1 John 3, it says that what, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And look, I want you to know right where you are as a child of God, he is pleased with you. Grace is not God's grease gun that helps the gears and pistons of self-effort. I literally could picture that. It is not the grease gun that helps the gears and pistons of self up. Like if, I used to think that grace was, okay, now that I got grace, now I can accomplish all those things that I was really hoping to accomplish. It doesn't loosen the self-effort gears up. It's not the go-go juice for people to stop sinning. It is not the go-go juice. It is not all of a sudden now you can just accomplish all, you can overcome all the sin that you were hoping to be able to overcome. Now, can I be honest? There are some things that work out of your life when you understand grace a little bit better. It just happens. I don't really understand why, but it's not by your performance. It's not by your self-effort. You just start being a little bit nicer of a person. You do. You start being a little more graceful to people. You start understanding. You start forgiving a little bit better but it doesn't officially stop you from sinning. John 8, 7 through 11, you probably know the story. Um, it is when the, the woman that was caught in the act was thrown out in the middle, and all of these religious people were about to stone her. Um, and it says, in verse 7, it says, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She responded, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. 
Now, at first glance, you could read that and think that Jesus was just like the, the stone throwers or the religious people and saying, don't be bad, be good. You could really think that that's what Jesus is saying. But that wouldn't make any sense if you really think about it. Grace doesn't challenge people to stop sinning. Grace says we are dead to sin and alive to God. Grace says we don't operate under that old system anymore. We've now moved into a new system of working with God. Defining grace is something we do because, number two, grace has been minimized. Grace is not only divine favor. I've heard that that is the definition of grace, and there's nothing else that you can say about it. Grace is not only divine favor. It is divine favor, but there's a lot of other things that grace is, and that's why we're continually defining grace. Grace is not only a topic. I don't know if you've heard this. People will say grace is just a little piece of the pie. You know, if we're going to bring that guy in there that he preaches specific about grace. It's just that one side of God. It's not only a topic. It's not a new doctrine. I've heard that for years. What's this new doctrine you're talking about? Grace. It's not us trying to be trendy or progressive or hip. We're not progressive or hip. I'm not cool. <laughs> right? I can't even try. <laughs> Amen. Grace is not a new message, but an old one that was covered up and hidden way too long. When asked what makes Christianity unique among all the, the world's religions, C.S. Lewis replied, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace has been around for a long time. Grace is huge. Grace is vast. It's monumental. It is a m amazing grace. Right? For some reason, I know you're going to think I'm weird. For some reason, it reminds me of Arizona. When we lived in Arizona, there was this little portion of town that we lived in that any, any way you drove, about 30 minutes, the landscape would dramatically change. And everywhere we would go, it was like a new area every time, and we'd see something new about that area. And we'd be like, wow, let's go back here. And then we couldn't even go back because we were already seeing something else. And that is how grace is to me. It's like you'd think eventually we'd stop talking about grace, but every time I look at Scripture, a couple weeks ago I went to go look at Scripture, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never saw this. I never saw it this way. And I've been reading the Bible for a really long time, and that's what grace does. Every time you're looking at something new, you are just amazed at like, wow, how could God be this way? How could this be here this whole time? And I looked at it a certain way, and now I see grace. It's going to take to infinity and beyond to even scratch the surface of grace. We might think that we've arrived, but I promise you, hang on a little bit longer, and you'll see that we're just getting started. Defining grace is something we do because of number three, people are told that repentance equals grace. I hear this often. In fact, if we're attacked for anything here at Grace, it's because we don't talk about repentance enough. But grace isn't given only when we repent. It's not given only when we repent. I'll give you a few examples. These are the examples I usually go to. Um, but the thief on the cross, when the conversation was happening between Jesus and the thief, right, the thief said, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. 
And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I didn't read a whole lot of repentance in that conversation. In fact, if we notice, they were dying at the time, and there wasn't much time to have a whole lot of repentance in that moment, right? At least what people think of repentance as. Uh, The story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking down the road, sees Zacchaeus in a tree. And Jesus, for whatever reason, whether he knew that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector or not, but he called out his name and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house. He went to his house, okay? And when he got there, they had a little conversation. And then Jesus responded to Zacchaeus and said, today salvation has come to this house. There was no conversation of repentance. It was just Jesus decided Today, salvation has come to your house. Jesus also healing the centurion's servant. Do you remember this? He, uh, the centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, and he said, you don't need to come to my house. He said, I have authority above and authority below. He said, I know that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith. And why did he do that? Because repentance wasn't involved in the conversation. He knew that Jesus had the authority to do that. There was no conversation of repentance. There also, also the woman who entered into Simon's house, there wasn't repentance. In fact, she didn't even talk the whole time. She just cleaned his feet with her tears and the perfume and all those things while the religious people were ticked off because they're like, she's not repenting. She's not getting her life straight. She just decided she was going to come in there and talk to Jesus. But that's what Jesus wanted. Even Peter on the boat. You remember when Peter said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man? Jesus actually responded completely different. He said, no, this isn't your doing. This is my doing. Grace has come to you. Acts 20, 24, it says, yet I consider life of no importance to me. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to bear witness to the gospel of God's grace. He didn't say the gospel of repentance, Grace is the message we share, not repentance. Repentance or a change of mind is still important, but the goodness and kindness of God is is what brings us there. Grace came first. Sometimes a change of mind can be over time. I don't know about you, but I'm still changing my mind. I'm still finding something new about God and changing my mind about him. Defining grace is something we do because it wasn't cheap. Have you heard of greasy grace? Has anybody ever heard that? Or sloppy agape, which kind of bothers me because it's not even a real rhyme. <laughs> like sloppe agape, like what are they trying to say there? At least rhyme if you're going to make fun of us, right? It's offensive. Or I've heard, Matt, you got to be careful of grace because it's too soft on sin. It lets people off the hook. Correct, it does. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pretty sure he took something away there, y'all. Pretty sure he let some people off the hook there. Might be stressful to you. I get it. I get it. But he's not holding any record of any wrong. Cheap grace couldn't pay the debt we owed. Cheap grace says, what have you done lately? Cheap grace requires us to cover the rest of the bill. Have you guys ever seen that commercial with the alligator hands when the bill's time to pay the the bill? That's what I think about cheap grace, right? 
I'm kind of doing this so the video people can use it against me, but alligator hands. Cheap grace has alligator hands. True grace says, what has God done? Cheap grace says, do, do, do. And true grace says, done, done, done. True grace says, it is finished. And I've heard for years, when are you going to stop talking about it is finished? My answer is always the same. When people stop thinking that they are better than they are. I heard a pastor say the other day, what they are essentially saying is when are you going to stop talking about Jesus and when are you going to start talking about me? I need advice. I need to know what to do. I need you to tell me what to do and how to live my life. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Spoiler alert, if being reminded it is finished isn't enough, this may not be the place for you. I hope that you think that it is. Defining grace is something we do because of number five, grace is a person. Grace is a person. In a word, grace is Jesus. Jesus is the face grace wears. Have you ever changed the words of Jesus and grace? I actually did it this week. I thought it was kind of fascinating how interchangeable they are. If you, get, if you have time this week, give it a shot. It's actually fairly interest, interesting. But Ephesians 2.8, I'll show you. It says, for by grace or Jesus... You have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Grace is a person living his life through you. Grace is the gift of all gifts from the giver of all givers. Romans 5.15, it says, which says, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression... Of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. I love what Clark said a few weeks ago is, do we think that Adam and what he did was more powerful than Jesus? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It makes a whole lot more sense that Jesus and what he did was way more powerful than Adam. Defining grace is something we do because mixing grace is still popular. In fact, it's very, very, very popular. Some things don't mix, y'all. Did you know that? Some things don't mix. Uh, like I would, I would say that food is one of those things that doesn't mix. Have you guys ever eaten food or eaten with other people? And here's how it works is when you're eating food, you eat one thing at a time. Okay, there's other people that really stress me out. I'll sit across them, my wife is one of them, and they just make everything a big medley, <laughs> right? I'm like, no, potatoes here, green beans there, and then the meat there. You don't mix it all and think it's all wonderful together. That's gross, <laughs> right? That's why they call things a medley, because they are. Not just all food should be a medley. Another thing that doesn't really mix is toothpaste and orange juice, Right? Can we get on the same page there at least? The other day I was uh, drinking coffee 
uh, in the morning, and I was tired. I wasn't really looking at what was in the fridge, and I saw this little creamer bottle, okay? And what I do is I don't read things. I just saw the shape of it, and I was like, that is what I want. It looks like creamer. And I got it, and I poured it in there, and it was actually something called kefir. Do you guys know what that is? I didn't know what it was. I thought it was maybe a name brand or something, right? And I poured it in. It actually had a mixed berry taste in my coffee. And I just want you to know, kefir and coffee don't mix. It's disgusting. (laughs) Take my word for it. Yeah, my wife thinks I'm disgusting. And my wife was watching the whole time. (laughs) I almost forgot that. She's literally to my right. She's like, what is he doing? I don't know, but I want to watch. (laughs) Yeah. You guys think I'm the mean one. (laughs) Anyways, uh, article from Escape to Reality. Paul Ellis is the author. This is what he wrote about mixture. He said, in churches every week, you will hear one of two messages. You will either hear a mixed grace gospel or you will hear hear a hyper grace gospel. Do you want to know the difference? A mixed grace gospel combines unmerited favor of God with the merited wage of human effort. You are saved by grace, but you maintain your position through right living is an example of a mixed message. God gives you grace so that you can keep his commands is another. These sorts of messages contain an element of grace, but ultimately push you to trust in yourself and your own efforts. Any mixed grace message can be recognized by the presence of carrots and sticks. Carrots are the blessings you get for obedience. Sticks are the penalties you pay for disobedience. The mixed grace message offers the following carrots. If you confess, you'll be forgiven. If you do right, you'll be accepted. And if you act holy, you'll be holy. What happens if you don't do these things? What are the sticks of the mixed grace message? Fail to perform according to the prevailing codes of conduct, and you'll lose your forgiveness. You'll lose your fellowship. And if worse comes to worse, you may lose your salvation. End of article. Uh, Speaking of Arizona, uh, there is a snake out there uh, called the Western Diamond Rattlesnake, right? Diamondback Rattlesnake. And there's a lot of them. I used to see them all the time out west when we lived there. And there was also another snake uh, that looks very similar called a bull snake. And you might say that's a bunch of bull, but I'm telling you the truth. It looks just like it. They look very similar. And I kind of knew the difference. And I'm driving a golf cart out of, out of a golf course. And I, I saw this snake that was going across the road. And I was like, whoa, like, that's not a rattlesnake. That's a bull snake because it doesn't have a rattler on it, right? And it was kind of tiny. And I get out and I go to walk over to it. And I'm about three feet from it. And I was like, ah, I think it's a bull snake. And then it coils up like a rattlesnake, and I could see its tail wagging. And then it turns into like a biting stance, and then it literally lunged at me. And I could feel the anger or protectiveness of that snake. And I thought, this ain't no bull snake. (laughs) This is a rattlesnake. I went back and told the guys back at the shop, and they said, Matt, they said, that was a baby rattler, and you're really, it's, you're really lucky because it could have bitten you, and they can't control their poison. They can kill you way worse than an adult rattlesnake. I didn't know any of that. Um, but what I, the reason why I tell you that is a mixed grace gospel looks very similar to a true grace gospel, but yet it can be extremely dangerous. 
It can be extremely destructive. Mixed messages have a lot of, yeah, grace, but, or yeah, grace, and grace is great, but don't forget about truth. Don't you forget about truth, because truth balances grace. They say grace preaching produces lethargic, lazy Christians. I present that maybe you were lethargic and lazy before you received grace. <laughs> Just an idea. So much of this thinking is fear-based. Romans 11:6. it says, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Matt, there still needs to be morals and standards. We have to give them something to reach for. As if morality goes out the door when grace is preached. Morality preaching actually produces hiding and secrets. I will say that again. Morality preaching, I've been around it, I've seen it, I preached it as well. It produces lots and lots of hiding and secrets. How do I know that? I worked with young people. When you preach morality, I was the standard chief, okay? Everybody knew me as that. In fact, if you go back to my leaders, what was I known for? Standards. Matt is the standard guy, okay? And I preached this, and there was all sorts of things going on with our leadership team and all sorts of things because they were afraid, because they realized they couldn't live up to the standards that Matt was putting out there. They couldn't, re they couldn't recognize that, man, God's grace is loving, it's forgiving, it's transparent. No amount of preaching standards has a lasting effect. If Michael can come up here. Um, I've met some people that have never heard a message on morality, right? I've, I've met some people that have never heard a message on morality that behave better than most Christians, right? Why? Because they wanted to, not because they have to. And that's a whole nother message by itself. The issue is not what you'll do for God, but what you'll let him do for you. Amen. Defining grace is something we do, number seven, because grace sets people free. It really does. And that is the only reason I'm standing in front of you right now. If I didn't believe that this set people free, I wouldn't be standing here. I really wouldn't. I would run from all of this. And there's a story I'm going to read to you. I don't know if it's a true story, uh, but I've read it, and I, I think it's phenomenal. There's a story that has been told from the Civil War days before America's slaves were free about a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, you're free. And with amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And say whatever I want? Yes, he said. And be whatever I want to be? Yep. And even go where I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently and replied, then I'll go with you. 
right? And I think people think that if we're free, then we'll run out and we'll be wild. I think that they think that. But I believe the opposite. I've had friends that for years preach the same standards and all the live rights and all the things that you're supposed to do in order to please God. And a lot of them have run from church and run from ministry and want nothing to do with God anymore. Why? Because they know that they can't live up to the standards that they were putting out there. My encouragement to you is grace is freedom. It promotes freedom. It promotes a life that can go out and be in love with God and live their life to the best that they can without any condemnation and any difficulty between them and God. Galatians 5.1, it says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. If you read all of Galatians, he's very, <laughs> Paul was very much aggravated with the Galatians because there were people that were mad about the message that Paul was talking about and setting people free and they were putting condemnation back on them. And he said, what has brought you to this point where you think that your works could make you right with God in any way? My encouragement to you is go out and live your life and enjoy God, enjoy who he is, enjoy how he made you and how much he loves you and who you are in him with all sorts of freedoms there. And that might stress you out, but I'm telling you in my own life, I'm a way better person and way nicer and way easier to get, around, get along with because of grace. I don't look at grace and think, oh, well, I think I can get away with a bunch of things. That's stupid. That's not grace. That's just, we were already looking for something like that if you experience grace and then you saw people do those things. And in my experience, I don't see that behind the scenes. I only see grace set people free and free and free. As you continue to go into it, you become a better person. You love people better because you can look at people the way God does. You can be nice to people. You cannot judge people. You can forgive people. I actually believe that grace promotes morality. It does. You become a better person, freer, and not scared of, is God going to punish me, or is he going to be mad at me, or is he going to be disappointed if I do this, or I do that, or if I move here, or if I, you know, whatever. If I listen to this music, is God going to be mad at me? I was that way, man. It was rough. Now I'm judgy of, if I see Z88-3 things on the back of people's cars, I'm like, why are they listening to that? Uh, and I love Z83. I don't have any problem. It's just weird. I'm like, I don't know what happened to me. I'm not angry at God. I just get mad that people only think that they can live in this Christian bubble. And I'm like, no, God, he loves you. He created you to be free, a free agent. There is no condemnation. We are free to live our lives. And he loves you just the way you are. Amen? Amen.